Well, grab your seats. Thanks for coming tonight. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 24. We're gonna be in several Psalms tonight. We read Psalm 46, we'll read Psalm 24. Um, So what I'll do is I'll read this text and I'll pray and we'll jump in. We're in week seven, week series of a seven. We're in week seven of a series called Who is God? You might be surprised to know that here we're talking about who is God. He's Father, and in a couple weeks we'll shift to talk about God the Son, Jesus Christ, and then after Easter we'll talk about God the Holy Spirit. And so trying to go back to the elemental, the root story that we've been given in the text, what do we know about God the Father? We've talked about him being the creator. We've talked about him being the one who runs after us in our failure. We've talked about him being the lawgiver. We've talked about him being compassionate. But tonight, we're going to talk about the Father as King. So hear the word of the Lord, Psalm 24. David says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He just kind of throws down right out of the gate. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and he established the world on the waters. And who may ascend the mountain of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. So lift up your heads, you gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, and lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord our Almighty, he is the King of glory. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. King of glory, come in. We do not have enough. We don't, we don't have a corner on the market. We are not in charge. We, we, don't, we can't pull the levers that need to be pulled. You are the King of glory. And so we say, come in. We lift up our heads. We we, we open our hearts to you. We ask you to speak to us tonight. We ask you to change us tonight. We ask you to heal us tonight. We ask you to make us more like you tonight. King of glory, have your way here tonight, and I pray that I would decrease so that you might increase. I pray that I would get out of the way so that people could see you. God, would you please speak to us? May the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength, And our Redeemer, we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. It was 11, maybe 12 years ago, our daughter Lillian, she was two or three, close to three, I think. And we were driving down 83 here, kind of over where um, In-N-Out is now and all this stuff. It just used to be pastures and So we were driving this way and we came up and kind of saw the broad side of the back of New Life Church. And you know, it's a nice big building. Lillian knows that we go there and she knows that I work there. And so she's familiar with this building. She's three years old and we're coming around and, and she's sitting right behind me in the car seat and there's New Life off to the right. And she goes, 
Dad, you own that place, right? I was like, oh my God, what have I been teaching my child? Like, and I go, no, baby, I, no, I don't own that. And she goes, well, who owns that? And I, I said, God owns that. And, and uh, you know, if she had said that last week, we'd have major problems. But, you know, three years old, I'll give her that. She's okay. There's still a grace period there. Uh, but it's a human question. Like, who's in charge of this thing? And I'm not talking about New Life Church. I'm talking about the world. Like, how does this thing work? And who's at the controls? And who has authority? And who makes the rules? And who gets to discipline? And, and frankly, is the one who's in charge good? And is the one who's in charge just? Or is he angry? Will he fly off the handle? Is, is she some terror out there in the sky? Like, who's in charge of this thing? Are we safe? Are we under someone's good care? Can this one be trusted? It's a human question that is at the base of all of our souls and it leaks out of three-year-olds and it leaks out of 90-year-olds who are wondering how they're going to enter their rest. It's a human question. Who's in charge? And the psalmist, Psalm 24, just erupts on the scene and says, the earth is the Lord's. And everything in it, the world and all who live in it, he's in charge. Our God reigns. We've been singing this and the ancient saints were singing this three and 4,000 years ago. But that's not some statement that can be crunched down into a little precious moments trinket and set on a nightstand. Our, our God reigns. Uh, oh, isn't that just so beautiful? It's not something that we, some nostalgic notion, we sit around the campfire on summer nights and say, oh, is it just isn't it our God? Like, there are those moments, but, but this language here that the psalmist is using is vigorous and vital language. It, it, it's language that shakes the soul. It's language that slaps you in the face and wakes you up. It's language that's, that puts all the other lesser gods on notice that you are not in control. Our God Reigns. The psalmist's pen pulsates with pathos and passion. His heart is pounding as he says this, and he wants us to know, and he wants to serve notice to all these lesser loves that your time is short because there is one who reigns, and he reigns over all. Our series is asking this question Who is God, and who is God the Father, and is he in charge, and is he good? And so tonight, what I want you to see is that the psalmist wants us to know that God is king. Psalm 93, another text. The psalmist launches on the scene and says, the Lord reigns and he is robed. Think about the royal language here. He's robed in majesty and the Lord is robed in majesty and he's armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. And it's throne language. Your throne was established long ago before I was here before that kingdom rose, before that kingdom fell, your throne was established long ago and you are from all eternity. And the seas have lifted up, O oh Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. The psalmist says, you are from all eternity, but then he acknowledges the difficulty of life. He acknowledges that there will be moments when nation rises up against nation. 
There will be moments when you get a diagnosis that takes your breath away. There will be moments when the market crashes and the economy shifts and there's global recessions. There will be moments when the child that you laid hands on and spoke life over for two decades has their moment away. There will be moments when relationships that you thought were for the long haul, people that you thought you would cross the finish line with, all of a sudden are no longer with you. There will be moments. He says the seas have lifted up. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding. This, this language that the psalmist uses is, is language that shows us how small we are. <laughs> have you ever stood by the ocean and you just, or you've been out on a boat, you've gone out deep sea fishing or you're out looking at whales or something. I've never done this, but I've seen people do it. You know, and the whole boat like tips over and fills up with water. Like there are these moments where you just go, I am not in charge. And I am very small and, and I have concerns, but I'm, it's just my life feels really fragile at this moment. You stand on the edge of the seas and you look out to the far expanse and you realize that life is out of your control. That life can be ominous at times. Life, there's thrashing waves, the vast expanse. There's, there's the crazy creatures, the, the ancients, before they had the great scientific discoveries that we have today, they talked about Leviathan, right? This creature of the deep. Like, who is this dark, brooding, ominous creature who is in charge and we are not in charge? The seas are chaotic and abysmal and fearful and we are not in Control. The psalmist says there will be these moments. To the Hebraic mind, the sea represented that abysmal chaos. It represented the untamable traumas of life that you stand in front of it and you realize that you're not in charge. But then the psalmist shifts after naming the realities of life. The seas have lifted up, the seas have lifted up, the seas have lifted up. And then in verse four, he says, mightier than the thunder of the great waters. <laughs> Mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Like he's in charge. He speaks to the seas and they, they, they go find their place. And, and, and he turns the, the water into a, a highway for the people to cross the Red Sea and into the promised land. God is in charge of the things that scare us. Mightier than the seas, the Lord on high is mighty. He tames the untamable and his his reign is unshakable and he subdues chaotic kings and he makes rulers sit like little lapdogs. God is in charge from of old. You are from all eternity and he was king before every earthly empire and he'll be reigning after every kingdom has fallen and Vladimir Putin will be a mere footnote in history. The Kremlin will crumble one day. The United States of America will not last forever, but we serve the God who is the king from all eternity and who will be king when everything rises and falls and we say about his son that Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. This is the God that we worship. This is the God who is the king over the kingdom. But tonight, it's important for us to name that kingdom for us right now is kind of a buzzword. Oh, it's kingdom. Ooh, ooh, kingdom, bro. Kingdom, awesome kingdom work. Ooh, you're just doing it for the kingdom. I'm just king. And, and when kingdom means everything, it actually begins to mean nothing. It's like, I love you and I love Dr. Pepper and I love this, you know, <laughs> The Denver Nuggets and I love, you know, I, like you just lumped me in with Dr. Pepper. <laughs> and, like 
So we've got to just take a step back from this buzzword kingdom and, and actually try to reclaim it tonight for just a little bit. Let's, 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 let's dig a little deeper on kingdom because it's a complex set of ideas that's helpful for us to explore and we're mistaken when we reduce it. So I wanna put five things in front of you. When we speak of the kingdom, we are assuming five things. Biblically, when we speak of the kingdom, we're assuming five things. So I'll put these in front of you tonight and we'll talk through each one. The first thing that we are assuming is a king. Scott McKnight, a great theologian, these, these five thoughts he helped me think through when he came to speak at one of our conferences. That when we say kingdom, we're assuming a king. We love kingdom language, but not all of us truly want a king. <laughs> yeah, I'm just part of this great, big, meaningful thing. I'm a part of something bigger than me and... And it's just nice to, to, to be a part of this transcendent story and, and I just locate myself within. But, but we don't actually want to bow the knee to someone who tells us no. <laughs> so, so we turn this concept of kingdom into this amorphous kind of romantic, beautiful idea, just part of the kingdom, bro. But Jesus says, don't do this. And we go, don't tell me that. And I, don't tell me what to do with my enemies. Don't tell me what to do with my money. Don't tell me what to do with my sexuality. No, like, I'm good. I'm good. But I'm a part of the kingdom. But I don't want to bow the knee to a king. But when we say kingdom biblically, we're saying that there is one who is from of old. There is one who has an opinion. There is one who's created the grain of the universe. And if we will work with it, it will not hurt us. But if we go against it, it will cut us. The king has a vision for the world. The king has a vision for flourishing. The king knows what the good life truly is. The king wants peace for all of his subjects. But when we put ourselves in the place of the king and we go against his rule, it ends up breaking us and we miss out on the blessing. So if we're saying we love the kingdom, we're saying we submit to the king. We pay allegiance and homage to the king. We honor and venerate the king. He's the one who is from of old. He's the one who will stand in the end. And so King Jesus, we give you glory. Father, who, who created the heavens and the earth, we give you glory. Spirit, we submit to you. Friends, if we're going to be a part of the kingdom, we will submit to the king. We want the benefit of the king's order, but we don't wanna bow the knee to the sovereign. But when we speak of the kingdom, we're speaking of allegiance and worship humbling ourselves. And so tonight is a good night to just do that weekly recommit to living life in the kingdom under the authority and the blessing and the rulership of the king. Can you say amen? amen. When we say kingdom, we're assuming a king. The second thing is when we say kingdom, we're assuming a rule. That a good and gracious and benevolent and coherent governance has been established by this beautiful and, and gracious king who is from of old. That again, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's building. He knows where he's taking this thing. If, we, if we're able to drive by like Lillian did and look at this thing, look at the project that God is creating in the earth, we, we'll go, okay, you're in charge of that thing. And so we submit to you. There's a good governance. There's a good rule. There's safety. And any great kingdom, a king will lead in such a way that it leads to flourishing and blessing and the good life for all of the subjects of the kingdom. There's a rule that ensures justice for the poor, that ensures a voice to the voiceless, that provides strength to the weary, a rule that in this rule, the young are loved and cherished. 
And in this rule, the old find their space and they find their dignity and they find their honor into their latter years and they are laid to their rest with all respect and dignity. In the kingdom, God is the king and he's created a safe and beautiful rule that is good for all of us. In the world's systems, you understand the world is playing a zero-sum game where if Russia wants to win, Ukraine has to lose. If the Republicans want to win, the Democrats have to lose. We're living in a society and in a a moment culturally that someone else has to pay for my success. But in the kingdom of God, in his rule, this king has made it so that everyone can flourish at the same time. No one has to bear the price so that others, the 1% or the 10% or the 20% or whatever, there is not a caste system in the kingdom of God. There is a rule that ensures flourishing for all. And so there is a kingdom. Who ha- we have a king. And the king has established a rule. The third thing that we're assuming when we come to this moment. No, 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 let me slow down here. I, I'm, I'm, I'm rushing. I shouldn't do that. In this kingdom, there's a judiciary that's impartial. And there's, in this kingdom, there's, a pol- there's politicians that it can't be bought. <laughs> Society that's good for everybody. And the psalmist says the Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty and he's armed in, uh, in majesty and armed in strength. And indeed the world is established, firm and secure. And because of this, the psalmist says, let the earth rejoice. This world is not random. It's ultimately safe. We're not on a collision course with chaos. There's coherence coming our way and there's good and wise and holy reign that that is coming from the just God. And and Martin Luther King Jr., one of his, his great phrases that sort of hooked itself into my soul, he says, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. This is a man who was aching for it to be made right for his people. And he said, it's long. Like he, he suffered, he never, he, he said, I've been to the mountaintop and I may not get there. I've seen though what's coming, but I may not get there myself. He says that the arc of the moral universe is long. It, 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 you're gonna have to be patient for it. it it's, not, it's not drop shippable to your front step in two days. It's long, but it bends toward justice. And this king is going to get us into justice and righteousness and fairness and equity. This king is going to level the scales. This king is gonna look the poor in the eye and say, you will never be hungry again. (laughs) This king is gonna look those little refugee kids from Ukraine that are now living in Belarus in the eye one day and he's gonna say, I will be your father and never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. The, 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 The arc of the moral universe, it's long, but it's gonna bend toward justice. When we say kingdom, we're saying there is a king and there is a rule. But the third thing that I want you to see tonight when we speak of kingdom, we're assuming a people, a people. The kingdom is a corporate reality. And this is in this third movement here is where we as as people have decisions that we have to make. The first two, God has done his work. There's a kingdom, there's king, there's a beautiful rule, but now it tips over to what will you do with it, saints? There's a people, it's a corporate reality. Theologians for centuries have said, you don't get the kingdom without the church. But a lot of us love causes, we just don't like congregations. Can we be honest tonight? Because a cause you can keep at arm's distance and you can check in on it when you want and it doesn't really have to bother you too much and and you can on your own terms, but congregations just kind of get up in your mix. 
People kind of say things that bother you and, or they have these little idiosyncrasies and ticks and quirks and different things that you just go, I don't wanna be. And, and in this congregation, we have so many different viewpoints and so many different approaches and so many different histories and so many different hopes and so many different fears and so many different family of origin backgrounds and we bring it all into this place and sometimes it gets difficult. But the kingdom has always been a corporate reality. There have always been a people. God doesn't work in abstraction. God doesn't work from a distance. God doesn't work in individuation. And, and I'll just take it. God brings people together and he teaches us how to love one another and how to forgive and how to give our money to each other and how to bless those that curse us and how to cross the finish line with the same people over the decades. The kingdom is a corporate reality. I don't come to church to make God happy. I don't come to church to win God's favor. I don't come to church because it's convenient. Most of the time it's not. It's okay, a pastor can say that. You can, because you're all thinking it. it. It's not most of the time convenient. I don't come to church because it's good entertainment on a Friday night. You could be out in the clubs. You, I mean, you could, someone's doing a show in Denver tonight. I mean, you could be doing anything on a Friday night. You could be watching, you know, just binging Netflix. There's, there's all kinds of great entertainment. You, well, I don't come to church for entertainment. I don't come to church because it's full of people who just see the world like me all the time. I don't. I come to church to remember who God is and to remember who we've been made to be. I come to church to repent of my sins. I come to church to release the people that I'm currently having difficulty with into the mercy and the blessing of God. And every time we start singing worship, God brings people to my mind that he wants me to do business with in my heart. Oh, Lord, bless them. Be good to them. Oh, Lord, it's okay. Forgive them. They don't know what they, and Lord, forgive me because I was a punk in that conversation and I should call them tomorrow and make things right. The Lord is just bringing situations and people and conversations into my memory. Why? To get my soul right. To heal me so that I can go heal the world and to heal you so that you can go heal the world. I come to church because, I, because I've been called to release good chunks of my money to other people. We worship with our tithes and offerings every week. And, and as we do that, like sometimes people think offerings are because the church needs money. Offerings are because we need to give our money away. The money goes and blesses the poor. The money's all over our city. The money's going to Central America. The money's going to Pakistan. The money's going to Africa. It's doing really good work, but it's not just for, oh, bless their heart. We'll tip God and we'll take care of the poor. No, us giving is so that we get right. And so that we become the people of God. And so I come to worship to repent and to release people and to bless people and to get my soul right. I come to church to remember that I'm not alone. One of my favorite things is seeing your faces and hugging your necks and going, how are you doing? And then you saying, and how are you and Lisa and the kids? What do you need? How can we pray for you? Can we stand with you? Could, do you need a meal this week? Friends, it's a lonely world. Do you know how desperately lonely people are right now? Like, I'm talking desperately lonely. We are the deepest pockets in human history, this society. Like, we, if, if the past generations could look at how we're living, they would go, what? And yet our souls were so tired and we're lonely and we're aching for someone to love us. And we, we've got our screens, but when was the last time we had that meaningful heart-to-heart -heart conversation. I come to church because I need to remember that I'm not alone and so that I can help you remember that you're not alone. The church is a corporate 
reality. When we say the kingdom, we're saying, of course, there's a king and he has a rule and, his, and the ark will bend toward justice. But we're also saying that there's a people and there's no reason for us to be lonely on this journey across planet earth. When we speak of kingdom, we're assuming the fourth thing, we're assuming a law. We've been given this book and the ancient saints, they had the Torah. How can a young person keep their way pure by hiding their face in the law of the Lord and letting that law meditate in them day and night and they'll become like trees planted by streams of living water and they'll bear fruit in every season and their leaf will not wither and whatever they touch will prosper. Not so the wicked for they're like the chaff that the wind blows away. The wicked will not stand in the judgment or the sinners in the assembly of the righteous, but the Lord watches over the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked will perish. There is a law and he's saying, I set before you today life and death and blessing and cursing. Please choose life. You don't have to destroy yourself by setting up these little gods that you think are going to pay off. They can't pay off. It always ends in nothing. It always ends in destruction. It always ends in tears. It always ends in loneliness. It always ends in guilt and shame. Please choose life. When we say kingdom, we're saying the king has a rule and he's got a people and the people have a book. They have a law. There is a way to live. And in this hyper-individualistic society, we just need to remember that we are not in charge and we get to submit ourselves to the way that God has crafted for us. And if we will, we will be blessed. We will have simple joy. We'll lay our head on the pillow at night and sleep sweetly. We won't have to look in the mirror and carry shame and guilt and live in these secrets that destroy us from the inside out. God is saying, you don't have to do that. Hide my word in your heart. Abide in my law. Choose life. Choose blessing. Choose my way. Saints, when we're saying kingdom, we're saying that there is a law. The fifth thing that I want you to see, when we speak of kingdom, we're speaking of a land, a realm, a region, territory, place. I know someone who just wrote a decent book called The Power of Place. <laughs> Bookstores near you, just kidding. A land. The, the people of God, the ancient Israelites, like land, dirt, the promised land. I've taken you out of Egypt, that, t that place that was so difficult for you, where you were subjugated to slavery and where there was more bricks and less straw and we're gonna crack the whip. And uh, you know when a place is not a blessing to you, but I'll bring you into the land flowing with milk and honey that I promised your father Abraham, your father Isaac, and your father Jacob, and Joseph sweated it out in Egypt, but somehow, someway, I got you in to the good land. When you talk about land to the people of God, God has always intended his people to have a realm where they can exercise holy dominion, where they can bear the image of God and, and, and be the superintendents of the garden. What Adam and Eve abdicated and lost and squandered because of their foolishness, he said, it doesn't have to be that way. I'll get you back and I'll settle you. And if you will choose this law and if you will treat me as your king and if you'll work with my rule and if you'll partner with the people that I've called you into, you will have blessing. And in that place, you will be a blessing. Genesis 12, I've blessed you to make you a blessing. And through your offspring, I will bless all the nations of the earth. God's intention was never just Yes, the Holy Land, I'm going to 
Jerusalem this summer, Lord willing, if the, if the world doesn't shut down again, I'm going, I can't wait, I've been there. It's an amazing place, the Holy Land, right? But God never intended to just hole up in one place. We need to understand that the Holy Land was like a gateway into seeing how God actually views his entire creation, that it's all good, that it's all holy, that, hey, Moses, there's a burning bush out in the wilderness. What? Midian? There's a burning bush? I thought the holiness happens in Jerusalem. Yeah, it happens there too, but it also happens on the backside of Midian. And, and by the way, everywhere you are, there's a burning bush if you'll just slow down and see it. God never intended to hole up in one place and to circle the wagons and to just sweat it out until he finally scares the whole world and gets the thing. No, he always intended, and this is what Jesus does. Jesus is, is raised from the dead. And they're all freaked out. Oh my goodness, he's back. And then he, he gathers with them, and, the, the, he gathers with them and, and feeds them and restores them and gives them marching orders. And then the, the spirit raises him up and he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And then the Spirit comes down and falls on the people. And what happens? They go from Jerusalem and to Judea and to Samaria and to the uttermost bounds of the earth. What we see is that God has always intended to cover the entire earth with his glory as the waters cover the sea. And this is what we see in Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth shall be filled. (laughs) It doesn't say, for Jerusalem shall be filled. Of course, of course. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, like everywhere you go, everywhere you can see, out of the distant reaches to the farthest islands, every every corner, north, south, east, and west, to the four winds, God's glory filling the earth as the waters cover the sea, which is to say, you get to go back to your dorm room with the glory of the Lord, and now his glory moves in and covers the earth as the water covers the seas. And you go back to your neighborhoods, and what if you just said, this street is holy ground? I'm not in charge of the world, but I'm, I'm in charge of this street. This is my street. <laughs> God made me in his image. He gave me dominion. And I'm gonna start living as if this place is my place. And I get to set, he said to Abraham, every place you set your foot, I'll give it to you to possess. Well, he set my feet here and I'm gonna possess this for his kingdom. And every little kid in the summer that's out running the streets is gonna know that I've got popsicles and I'm a good person to be around. And I'm gonna encourage them and I'm gonna bless them and I'm gonna jerk the slack out when I need to, but I'm always gonna be about blessing these people. This place is holy ground. What if you went back to your workplace this next Monday through Friday and you lived differently as if you could create this, this, this territory within which God's glory dwells? Because you can. The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Friends, God has always intended for you to have a land for you to have a realm, for, to, for you to have a place of dominion and for you to stand in that place and take up that creational design and actually do it the right way. It is possible and the world is dying for you and for me to go from here, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost bounds. This is who we are. And when we speak of the kingdom, we're speaking of a king who has a rule, who's gathered a people, who's given us his law and who's given us a land that we have authority and dominion over. Friends, if we would live this way, the kingdom of God will come and the will of God will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. I'll say it this way, God has always longed for little pockets of the holy land to fill the earth. When I think about this, I think of Jim and Janine, two sweet people right here, the Hardys, and many, many years ago they 
remodeled their basement and made it really beautiful. And you've been married 50 years? 50 years. Uh, they didn't need more square footage in the basement to spread out and just... La- you know why they remodeled their basement? They remodeled their basement because they knew that Colorado Springs was pricing people out of the market and there would be women who wouldn't be able to afford to live somewhere. And so they said, not on our watch. We can do this. We can't change the whole world. We can change two lives. Like, really change. And so they created this little holy land in their basement for the earth shall be filled the glory of the Lord. Because that's what the king does. He's established a rule where everyone can win. So what would it look like for you? Your story is unique. Your options are unique. You can tailor make this. But if you leave here without thinking that God has given you a land, I have failed as your preacher tonight. He has given you a territory. He's given you a realm of dominion. He's given you authority. He's given you creativity. You can make it your own, but go make it. Create a holy ground environment for people to come into so that, as Matthew said, every time someone comes in your presence, the atmosphere shifts. There is a king, he has a rule, he's given us the people of God, he's given us a law, and he's given us a land. The Lord has always insisted on partnership with people made in his image. And so tonight I wanna ask you three questions. God is the king, and he's created a rule, but these final three, we we really gotta ask ourselves these questions. Question number one, will we sign up to be his people? Will you just say like, you know, I don't really get to graduate from the saints. I, I, I can't just love causes, I've gotta be a part of a congregation. Like, will you just say, I'm gonna die doing this. I think it's a noble cause, I think it's something worth doing, and I think you'll find that it brings you more joy than it brings you concern. <laughs> will you sign up to be his people? The, the next question I'm gonna ask is, will we live by his law? In the last many years, it's gotten more difficult for me to get into this because I've got a phone. I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm saying I'm, I've noticed that I really have to work to do this. But it's, it's what I was made for. I get in this and I just, like something in my soul starts humming and resonating and coming back to life. Friends, just, he's set before us today life and death, blessing and cursing, and we get to choose. So choose life. I will not lay on my deathbed and say, gosh, I wish I'd checked Instagram just a little more. I wish I'd posted more stuff on, I just won't, I know I won't say that, but I might say, gosh, I wish I'd tucked my soul away in this book a little more. Because it would have been the anchor in the storm that is the life that we live in. Let's be people of his law. The, The final question I want to ask is, will we turn our places into little pockets of the Holy Land. We get to do this, saints, and as we do this, we begin to be like our king. We begin to stand up into the work that he's called us to. We begin to exercise those muscles 
and you start to see the world around you changing. And so tonight, friends, we've got a king who's given us a rule. He's given us each other. He's given us this law. And let's go create little pockets of the Holy Land everywhere God has set our feet. Can you say amen? amen. Stand with me tonight, church. As the band comes, we're gonna receive communion. Matthew, would you throw me one of those communion elements or gals? If you don't have communion elements, would you raise your hand and our team will quickly come to you? Thank you. Over here on the side. Tonight, it's appropriate that we come to the table of the Lord because the king has a son who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And Jesus Christ is always getting us ready for the work that he's called us to. He doesn't send us out there on our own. Hey, hope it works out. He sends us out with our stomachs full and our hearts refreshed and renewed. We got that good drink in us. And we're just, we're relaxed. We're ready to go do the work. We're ready to go live this way in a really confused world. And so tonight, I want you to see yourself relaxing at the king's table. I want you to see yourself looking him in the eye. Imagine yourself, well, just, cl just close your eyes with me tonight. Imagine seeing him face to face. What does Jesus look like tonight? Does he look angry? Or does he look really happy? Smile on his face. Relaxed soul. Good to be with at the table. And he says, I'm here to get you ready tonight to live this way. I'm here to heal you tonight. I'm here to forgive you tonight. I'm here to speak affirmation over you tonight. I'm here to give you the power to be this kind of people. So Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And if you would break that little wafer in your hand and hear him by the Spirit saying it again, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. Jesus says, if you're gonna live this way, it's going to, it's gonna break you at times. It's gonna cost you at times. It's okay. It's gonna cost me more and I'll help you go live that way. So saints, tonight I invite you into the good and holy brokenness of Jesus, which turns out to be a really good sustaining meal. It's okay to live this way. This is his body broken for you and for me. You may receive the bread tonight. On the same night, Jesus took the cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant and it's given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. As often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. Before we receive, I want us to take a moment here and repent. Say, I'm sorry. To recommit our allegiances, to refocus our love, can you tell the Lord what you're sorry for? Can you ask forgiveness? It was a, a cross conversation. It was a, 
an evil thought that you harbored towards someone, whatever, we all carry this stuff. Would you lay it down tonight? Repent. And Jesus says, I've given you this cup, given you my blood for the remission of your sins. You're clean tonight. As you repent, he's faithful to forgive. So saints, Jesus is for you. He has forgiven you. You may receive the cup tonight. Now let's worship the Lord together. I cast my mind to Calvary when Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior of that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's by heavy stone Messiah still and all alone Oh praise the name of the Lord our God Oh praise His name
sing more here in just a minute, but a dear friend, Victoria, who I've known for 13 years, the Lord's given her a prophetic picture and she's never done this. And I said, exactly, that's why you need to do it. So let's listen to this word and we're gonna go back into worship, but I want you to hear this word from her and then let's submit ourselves to the spirit. So I have a picture of just a faceless person in an old home and everything is covered in dust. And there's this violent wind outside and this person is like pushing up against the doors and the windows trying to not let the wind come inside. But what needs to be done is the doors need to be open, the windows need to be open, and the wind needs to come inside because that is the Holy Spirit. That is the breath of God. And so just like thinking about your land, your territory, what the, what the, what the Lord has given you to govern and to protect, he can do such a better job of protecting that than you can. And so if you feel like your territory is small and insignificant, just let let the Spirit come in and do what He needs to do because it's beautiful underneath all of that dust. Can you say amen to this prophetic word from this beautiful woman of God? We love you. So open your hands right now. And just imagine we're gonna go back into this song of praise the name. But just say, Lord, here I am. I'm open to you. So wind of the spirit, we invite you. Spirit break out. Let's do spirit break out. Wind of the spirit, we invite you to unsettle us in all the right ways, to cleanse us, to remove the dust, to remove the debris, to make us fresh again, to make us new again, to make us holy again. Lord, spirit break out with your people tonight. Come on, church, let's worship. Let's let the wind of the spirit come in. Heaven come down, spirit break.
There's one more thing we need to do here tonight before we pray the benediction. I want to invite Caleb and Alex Newberg up and their family and friends, Matthew, Brett, Mom. So when the Spirit breaks out, stuff gets shaken up, right? The Spirit comes into the upper room. Come on up here, y'all. And they're filled with the Spirit and they go out into the streets and they start heading to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And Caleb Newberg has grown up here at this church his entire life. His dad, Brian, is one of our elders. He's our CFO. Brian's worked here almost 30 years. Like these people helped build this church, the Newbergs. And and Caleb has grown up here and he's helped lead our hospitality team, which makes this place go. Sets up, tears down, cleans it up, makes it so that you can come here and love this place. So can we give it up for the hospitality team? So Caleb goes to Australia, right, or New Zealand for mission training, YWAM, and meets this wonderful woman of God, Alex, and they come back here and they get married. Woo! Dad's happy. So they have heard the Spirit speak to them about going to help plant a church and do a new work here in the United States. And so I want them to give you just the, the Cliff's Notes version of what they're going to do. And then we are going to send them out in the blessing of God as their congregation, as their place sending them out. So tell us what you're going to be up to. Yeah. So uh, we moved here back in October of 2019. And uh, the two years prior to that, we were overseas doing missions. Um, and we have some very dear friends from that time. Um, and just this last year, they started a prayer movement in Pennsylvania and they've just been seeing just such a move of God happening there. Um, and they told us like, Hey guys, like there are so many people coming to Jesus here and we need more disciple makers. Uh, the harvest is so plentiful, but the labors are few. Um, and so they just said, Hey, pray about it. And we did. And we weren't planning it. We weren't expecting it in any way at all. But God just said, it's time. It's good. like, it's time for your next assignment. Time for you guys to go and um, move into what I've called you into. So um, yeah, we're going there to help them just as they launch this church. It's grown from 10 people to over 100 people, a lot of new believers um, in just, just a short period of time. So we're really excited to just see what God does there. And you leave tomorrow, tomorrow morning. <laughs> These people, if you don't know them, I'll tell you, they are excellent, they are sweet-spirited, they're faithful, nothing is below them, they're servants ready to wash the feet of the world, and they've done it. (laughs) They've done it their entire lives. And so I am so sad, and I'm also so proud to lay hands on you tonight with your dad and with so many people that love you. Church, would you stretch your hands out tonight and just begin to speak the blessing of God, the favor of God, the provision of God, the peace of God over them. They need to go do this work and we're gonna send them out well. So Lord, for Caleb and Alex, we lay our hands on them in the name above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And these two are going with the proclamation that he indeed is Lord. And so, Lord, they are an answer to the prayer that you prayed. Jesus, you said the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers. And here they are, an answer to prayer. So, Lord, we send them into Lancaster County, PA, to be laborers in the harvest field. And we pray for salvation to break out in that region. We pray for dreams and visions as people are sleeping at night that they would see Jesus and say, what is this? 
and that they would come out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We pray, Lord, that they would lay hands on the sick and see them recover. We pray that they would be a part of the lonely being set into family. We pray that they would be a part of the restoration and the renewal of all things. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would cause your spirit to be poured out on them in fresh measure. I pray, open the heavens over these two. Open the heavens that everywhere they go, that the the glory of God resides, that they would go set their feet on that territory and create holy ground. And so, Lord, we send them with our blessing, and I thank you that they will lack nothing. You will lack nothing. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children out begging for bread. You're going to be fine. We thank you, Lord, that you'll surprise them with provision, that you'll surprise them with joy, that you'll surprise them with the right housing and with favor everywhere they go. I pray you'd surprise them with great friends to do this work with. And so, Lord, we as a congregation, we say yes and amen to all you have done and to all you are doing. And we look forward to seeing the reports. Lord, we look forward to the kingdom come where we can look and see the effect of their obedience. And Lord, tonight we pray, bless them and keep them. Keep them, Lord. Make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift your countenance upon them and grant them peace. And Lord, for this congregation, church, open up your hands to receive. Lord, I pray over this entire congregation that you'd make us gutsy like these two, (laughs) courageous like these two, faithful like these two, joyful like these two, willing to take risks like these two. Lord, wake us up in our faith, (laughs) like these two who are provoking us tonight with, with just strong faith. I pray that you'd make us a faithful people. I pray, bless this congregation, keep them. Make your face shine upon them, be gracious to them. Lord, smile big and grant us peace as we go out to create little pockets of the Holy Land all over Colorado Springs and the Pikes Peak region. I pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, would you give it up for Caleb and Alex tonight? So proud of you. Church, if you have any prayer needs, our prayer team is coming down front. We would love to agree with you about any prayer needs that you might have. If you're new, come see us at Guest Central and go from here tonight in God's grace and peace. Much love.